Hey, good evening. Welcome to Thrive. I had a moment here where I was really worried that I was going to be wearing the same shirt in that promo video that I was wearing tonight, so I'm glad to announce I do have more than one shirt, possibly now two. You just, you don't know. I, I had a moment where I was like, I think I'm wearing the same shirt in the promo, but it was too late. So anyway, we're glad you're here tonight. I'm so grateful to our leadership for providing a midweek service for us to just experience his presence and that we can come and just be recharged in the middle of the week. That's really the heart behind Thrive is we just want you to have an opportunity to experience his presence, experience who he is midweek. And we are uh, right in the middle of, uh, actually we're concluding a series tonight that's kind of uh, piggybacking on the Easter season and how many of you are with us for Good Friday and Easter Sunday? Incredible experiences. And so we just want to ride that out for the rest of the month. So we're concluding tonight talking about the resurrection. Uh, and so we, we get into the season of spring and things are coming alive and things are happening. And I have to tell this story. I have to. Will you allow me just like three minutes to tell you a story that is somewhat embarrassing, but more embarrassing for my wife than me? Take five, somebody said. I'll take it. So we, so in the springtime, this, there was something that we used to do a lot. So we would drive to my in-law's house and they lived over on the other side of the state. And we would pass this little farm that had uh, what we affectionately known as, I'm gonna do it, I'm just gonna say it. We called them lammies. They were lambs, but they were lammies to us. You're welcome. Uh, I'm a dad now. I'm unembarrassable, so it, it's just happened. So we would get so excited to drive by and look, Andrea, you have to agree with me on this, to look at the lammies, and they had these little shaky legs, and they would come out, and they're learning to walk and whatever, and it was this big thing. In fact, we would like slow down on the side of the road and let people pass us so we could... And so over time, we, we told that story, hey, we love coming out because it's springtime. We get to see the lammies. And we were telling that at a family gathering. And Andrea has this big family, lots of uh, ants and uh, A-U-N-T-S. The way I said it, it sounded like bugs, like ants. Uh, had a lot of ants. And one of them has a farm. And so we're telling the story about the lammies. We love, we love seeing the lammies. And, and one of her aunts steps in and says, you know, Andrea, we have lambs. And how, how many of you know my wife? Just a show of hands, like you've, you know her, you've interacted with her. She's very excited about a lots of things, right? And in this moment, she was so excited about the possibility of the lammies. And so she so we have, we have lambs and she, I could, I saw it come from like here all the way up and just this big smile. And before she could get anywhere, her aunt goes, no, 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 stop, hold on, hold. We eat them. And that was the reaction. It was just, it just washed away. And my, and, and, and there was this moment, this jarring moment of, and, and I only say that to say it's springtime and lambies, but no, uh, We've been talking about lambs. We've been talking about the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Uh, on Easter Sunday morning, Pastor Sam said, the super lamb that has come to take away all of our sins. And that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about. But just as much as that story, it was so jarring to hear of that sacrifice, of that perfect lamb, that sacrifice of that innocent thing. It's just as jarring when we go back and we talk about the sacrifice of our Savior, what Pastor Kerry talked about last week, and the brutality and, the, and, and how, how 
how terrible and heartbreaking that sacrifice truly was. And so that's where we're at. So we're going we're gonna to pick up right there, and we know how tragic and heartbreaking that is, but praise God, we now have life because of that sacrifice. Amen? Right? Because of that sacrifice, because of what Jesus did, because he gave up his life, we now have sustenance and life through that. So through that excruciating, heartbreaking, crushing thing that happened, we now have the ability to live in his power, in his resurrection power. And that's my goal tonight, is to remind us that he did not stay in the ground. Amen? Amen. But I want you to, I'm going to ask you to commit to a couple of things tonight. I want you to commit to something with me. First of all, uh, if you've got the, 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 the app on your phone, please open the notes and, and take notes. Keep, keep, keep track with me on there. Um, I'm going to hit a couple of scriptures that I'm not actually going to read, but that they are vital to the timeline that we're kind of building this month. So please make sure you put those in for your reference later. I want you to commit to following along and keeping, at, uh, keeping notes in the app because there will be a lot of scripture, a lot of reading, a lot of follow-up for you on your own time. But I also want you to commit to this. It's a little different. And even as we were praying uh, in the back, we're talking about uh, the ability tonight for God to reawaken and open our hearts and, and allow his resurrection life to open that up. I want you to commit to this tonight, if you could, with me. And this is something that if you've been a follower of Christ for two days, two weeks, two years, or 50 years, or anywhere in between, I want you to commit to this tonight. Can you make a commitment that, that I want you to go back and think about this for a minute and just really let this settle in. I want you to go back and remember when you met Jesus. And I want to put you in that frame of mind as we walk through this because it's so important that we go back and we revisit that and we begin to remember and frame that as, as, as our framework for tonight. As I want you to go back and remember, it may have been a long time ago, it may have been a long time since you thought about it. It could have been Easter Sunday morning when you, got, when you met him two weeks ago or 30 years ago, or you may have met him two days ago. I don't know, but I want you to remember that, and I want you to be in that frame of mind as we walk through tonight. We do this a lot. Uh, my, my wife and I, we love to work with married couples, and, and one of the things you do when you're talking with a married couple who's having trouble is you say, hey, tell us, tell us about your first date, right? Because there's those, or tell us how you guys met, and there's those feelings that, that come up, and I want to I want, I want to put you in that frame of mind because what happens is sometimes we can lose focus, we can lose our way, and we can forget why we started this journey to begin with. And so as we talk tonight, I want you to go back to that moment. I want you to do your best to put your, put your mind around that moment where you came essentially face-to-face -face with your Savior. The question we have to wrestle with tonight, though, is how do we walk in his power I want to begin approximately where Pastor Kerry concluded last week, and we want to kind of continue to build that timeline as we have been doing this month and thrive. And my key verse, if you want to turn there with me, is Luke 24, 1 through 8. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture, and I think that you could agree with me, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day and be raised again. Then they remembered his word. There's merit to revisiting the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus because it's something that can create movement in our lives. Locomotion, it's, it, it compels us to go and live in what he's called us to live in. I just, like I encouraged you a bit ago, I wanna revisit that. I want you to revisit when you came face to face with him. And I wanna talk about tonight, beginning with the reality of the resurrection. Now, again, uh, Pastor Ken and Pastor Kerry did a wonderful job of building us a timeline. And we even went from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. And we, so, so I wanna continue that on, but we're not gonna be as specific with the days and the times, mainly because it's like a 40-day period we're talking about here. And I don't think you guys wanna walk with me each day of the 40 days because I don't think I have that kind of time. There's only one person in here that might listen to me talk that long. One. She's right there. And she's, she's committed, so uh, she has to. You have to hear me talk that much. Sorry, honey. Uh, but I want to continue on with this timeline, and we want to visit these eyewitness accounts, and I'll talk a little bit more about it, uh, where I kind of came, where this message kind of came from for me, but uh, I want to talk about that timeline. And so these eyewitness accounts that we see where Jesus is going back and meeting people face-to-face -face and meeting people in person as the resurrected Christ. He was very busy during this time, and he knew this is some of the last literal moments he would have to speak with his disciples and wants to encourage them and, 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 and empower them to continue his mission. So I want to discuss the reality of the resurrection by reading through these passages. I'm not going to read them all, and, and I'm only going to I'm only gonna really dive into about three of them, okay? So this is where the notes, this is the part where I need you to take notes and put those references down and look later. And I also need you again to commit. I'm gonna be reading a lot. There's a lot of scripture. How many of you say, I'm with you, it's okay, you, we can do this. I saw at least three hands and one of them was my wife, we're good. I, and I heard a let's do it. Yes, come on, let's do this. But I want to start with these eyewitness accounts. I want to walk through some of these, and then I'm going to camp out on a couple of them as we go through. All right, you're all with me. I heard it. So I'm going to start with Mary Magdalene, and, and I'm going to edit myself here and not talk about how beautiful this story is. I'm just going to read it to you and let the text speak for itself. But right immediately after what I just read there in Luke uh, is where I'm going to pick up. And I want to do one more caveat. Pastor Kerry said this so well last week. There's several different uh, iterations of these stories from all the different gospel writers. And I love the way he said this. He said, sometimes they could look almost contradictory to one another, but really you have to take into account the audience and the focus and the scope of their gospel writing. So I'm going to take John's account of this first one, even though it also appears in Luke, because John is so detailed. And if you know me, you know I like the detail. So there's a few things that happen in this passage that I want you to catch. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Skip down to verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Circle that, underline it, remember that. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord and she told them, he had said these things to her. I'm not, I'm gonna go deeper into that. I'm just reading it so you know that it happened. Just hold on to that. Next one. Shortly after this, uh, in Luke, so if you jump back to the book of Luke in verse uh, chapter 24, verse 13 through 33, I know it sounds like a lot, but we're, gonna, we're just gonna camp out here for a minute. Now that same day, Luke 24, 13, Two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they had talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, but they were kept from recognizing, under, underline, remember, hold on to that. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood with their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, and this is in red letters in my Bible, how foolish are you and how slow to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, himself as they approached the village, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. There's a whole message right there, and I just can't, I'm just gonna keep going. So he went in to stay with them where he was at the table with them, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Again, I'm gonna camp on it in a minute. We're gonna keep going, we're gonna keep plowing. Who's still with me? Yes, thank you, Brother Michael. I heard that. I like that. So he's, he disappears from their sight. Then he appears, all, right after that, he appears to the apostles, 11 of them in Luke, and this is where notes come in handy, Luke 24 and 36. He appears to the apostles without Thomas. That account is also in John 20, verse 19. And then about eight days later, or a week or so later, uh, he is with the apostles again, and Thomas is in attendance this time, and that's the, that's the famous, I, I'll believe it, when I can touch the, the nail scars in his hands. That's John 20 and 24. And then after that, the, the, up to, the next day, up to about a month or so, uh, there's this big gap of time where Jesus, uh, we'll talk about it, where, where Paul says that he uh, revealed himself to other people. And then there's this uh, story in John 21. And again, I go back to John because I love the detail. In John 21, up to about a month or so later after that, John 21, one through 14, 
Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that he was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said, it is the Lord to Peter. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring back the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even so, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. I read all this and, and again on Mount of Olives, Luke chapter 24 and Acts verse one or Acts chapter one talk about the ascension of Jesus and I'm gonna go into that in a bit but I talk about all of this so that you can see the, the diversity of the accounts. There's so many different times and places that Jesus, everybody's still with me. I know it was a lot of reading, okay. I know it was a lot of reading, but I wanted you to see there's a, there's a big picture of Jesus coming and revealing himself, and he continued to do it over and over again. And there are some themes in there that I wanna bring out in a minute. But Paul even tells us in, in 1 Corinthians as he's writing to the Corinthian church in 15, chapter 15, 3, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Listen to this, what was most important, Christ died for our sins, amen? Just as scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Jesus, on 11 different occasions, totaling over 514, 514 people in several different locations. All these testimonies were collaborated. Paul even says, some of them are still alive, you can go ask them. Like you can go check in with these guys. They're still around to tell the story. And listen, here's the kicker. All of these people were willing to, and some even did, die for that story. I say all of this, I read all of this to you to say that the resurrection of Jesus was a reality. It is a real event that happened in human history. And, and I, I, I love the argument that would come back to me, well, but you just use scripture to validate scripture. Yes, I did. We believe in the validity of scripture. We believe in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 that says all scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. It is useful for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I just went King James because of junior Bible quiz. Sorry, it just came out. We believe in the validity of scripture in this body and we know that if it's there, we can believe it. It is a foundation upon which we can build our life. It is a firm foundation and we stand on that word. 
I will use scripture to prove scripture because I believe. And, and, and that's so, what's so important about this first point, this first step. We have to be people who believe in the truth and the reality of the resurrection. Otherwise, the rest of us not gonna work out. We have to build our life on the fact that he came, died, and rose again. And I'm asking you to go back to that time when you realized, when you met him face to face and revisit the truth of who he is and what he did and what he will continue to do. I've given you just a, a short snippet, probably didn't feel short because I read through them, of these eyewitness accounts just to give us hope and certainty that it happened, that it actually happened. And this is step one, but I want to just spend the rest of my time focusing on our recognition of the resurrection. And this is really the, the heart of my message. This is where I started. This was the, the middle and I built out from there. So allow me to take a little bit of time because I think there's a real balance. I, I, I don't want us to be moved by our feelings only, okay? So there's, if, you, if you live by feeling, you will live by feeling and, and, and you'll, you'll just go back and forth like this. We have to have a balance of feeling and, and truth and foundation and that reality, okay? But if you know too much, that can also be a bad thing too, right? So if you just know too much that you're not going to, to come into that, uh, that knowledge and allow it to, to change who you are in your actions. So we have to live in that balance. So don't hear this and think that, well, I just didn't feel it, so it must not be real. It's not what I'm going for. I believe that the, that the truth of the, res the resurrection is foundational, but until we, until we recognize the Savior, until we recognize that power in our lives, that knowledge is only half the battle. I was so stuck on this idea, and as I was processing this with our teaching team and, and talking through this, so stuck on this idea that the disciples, these people who knew Jesus, that had walked with him, had been with him throughout his earthly ministry, didn't recognize him when he showed up. And I just couldn't get over that idea. And there's a ton of different theological directions that we could go with this or, or and, and you know, did Jesus' resurrection body look different? Was there something, all these different ideas of where I could go with this. But I wanna focus, I wanna bring it down and focus on one little bit tonight, okay? What I want you to see is, for whatever reason, whether it was on them or Jesus kept them from recognizing him, they didn't recognize him until they did. And I, I just, I have to believe, and, and, and maybe you're like me and maybe you're not, and, and if not, you can check out until the, the, until the conclusion. Please don't, but you can if you need to. If you're like me, I look at that and I think there must be some significance in the thing that caused them to go from, I don't know who this person in front of me is, to that's my savior. And whether or not Jesus used these, these things to, to shift their uh, understanding or, or their recognition of who he is or whether or not it was something that they heard, or, I don't know all of the, the ins and outs of it. But what I can tell you is there was a time when the person didn't recognize them and then they did. And I want to explore that for just a few minutes because I find so much significance continually going back though to that challenge. And I, as we walk through these, remembering you when you met him face to face and allowing it to cause you to move continually in his direction. But I wanna look at this pattern of remembering or recognizing 
in these accounts. So I'm going back to Mary, and now I will give myself space to talk about Mary because it's such a beautiful story. It's such a painfully beautiful story, the story of Mary Magdalene. Can we go back to John chapter 20? I promise I won't read the whole thing again. (laughs) I heard an okay. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying in verse 11. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They said to her, jumping down, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, period. That was it. One word. He said one word and you know what he said to her? He said her name. He just spoke her name. And it clicked. Man, as you're thinking about when you met Jesus face to face, can you, I, I want to, I know this is a moment between Jesus and Mary. I would want to, I kind of want to be there. Like, did he say it a certain way? What happened? But whatever it was, one word, the mention of her name from her Savior, her eyes were turned around. Her eyes were turned on. She recognized who it was. Do you find it interesting or even possible that there's deep significance that Jesus revealed himself to Mary first? She's one of the first people that he revealed himself to. I find that deeply significant. Now, backstory on Mary, there's tons of different theories, but the one thing that we know from the text directly is that she was a woman who had seven demons cast out of her, is what the, is what the scripture says. Now, that's not even a literal seven. A lot of times that, that number can be uh, indicative of completeness or wholeness, right? The, the number seven. But what that means is that she was completely under the control of demon possession. She had no control of her own self until Jesus met her and cast them out. So think about, think about her story. Think about how significant it was that Jesus, her life was completely out of control until Jesus came along and put her back together. She was such a significant character in scripture that she had her name mentioned. I was reading in passing one dictionary I read said that there were tons of people that were followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Lots of them, a lot of them, but only a small percentage of them do even know their names. Think about that for a minute. Think about how many earthly followers Jesus had that would follow him around. And we know very few of their names. Mary was mentioned by name. She was at Jesus' feet when he died at the cross last week, like Pastor Kerry talked about. Such a significant character, a person in this story, not character, because she was real. She was a real person. Such a significant person in this story. And I love how devoted she was as a follower of Christ. But what was so interesting is that she didn't recognize him until he said her name. And her eyes were opened. There was something familiar about the way he said it or what he said. There was something there that stirred in her. She said, that, I recognize that. That is my savior. I just, I love the significance that as he spoke her name, she became aware. I want to ask you, 
tonight? Are you still tracking with me on that challenge? Do you remember when Jesus called you by name? Do you remember that? Do you remember, how many of you would be bold enough in this place to say, I am one who has been forgiven much. Mary was one who has been forgiven much. Her life was completely out of control and Jesus came along and put it back together and spoke her name. And he spoke her name in a sense that he knew who she was. He knew what she was coming from. He knew where she was going. He knew what she was going to be. He spoke her name and she became aware. He knew her by name. Throughout your walk with him, all the amazing things he's done, you find yourself at times just feeling like you, maybe he missed, maybe he messed up, maybe that really, he really didn't mean to call me to doing that. But then he speaks to you directly and everything can change. I love the idea that with one word, she was called by name. Move over to the next passage, the, the men on the road to Emmaus, I find this appearance gives us a lot to think about because think about how close we can be to him and still at times miss the power in all of the things he's already done. So these guys, these are two disciples, one's named Cleopas and another one that we don't get their name, but it says they were trying to, to wrap their minds around what they had just seen take place and they're walking away from the city. They even say to Jesus, who they didn't know was Jesus at the time, like, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? Like, this is a very big deal. And they're, they're, they're wrestling with it. They're grappling with it. And it says in verse 20, uh, 28, as they approached the village, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. I just want to take a minute to tell you that bread was the thing that made them realize that Jesus was Jesus at this point. And I have to take a side note here. I am a huge bread fan. I'm Mr. Carbohydrate. It is a great time to be a king right now in the king family. Andrea is on like a bread baking kick right now. So she's doing like all this fresh bread making and it's, it's just a great time to be alive. But I got more amens for bread than I have anything else tonight. But, you know, I'm doing my best. I'm working hard up here. There's nothing like fresh bread coming out of the oven. It's hot. You put some butter on it, it melts. Come on. I used to work uh, at Our Daily Bread, great organization, incredible mission, vision, uh, and values over there. But they, they had this devotional, the Our Daily Bread devotional, and they, would, they always referred to it as the bread. So it kind of stuck with me, like that, you know, you're just equating God's word with, with bread. And then you bring the fresh aspect into it. But I, I know this sounds really basic, and I'm going somewhere with this. And I want you to just track with me for a second. This sounds really basic, but are you feeding yourself daily with fresh word from God? Are you feeding yourself with God's word daily? And as, this is like basic 101, read your Bible and do your devotional everyday stuff. I know it sounds that way, but I want you to notice something interesting in this text. It says in Luke 24, 14, that they were talking with each other 
two disciples of Christ were talking about each other, with each other about everything that had happened. And these guys are literally trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out what just happened because they had thoughts that, wait, I thought you were gonna come and restore the kingdom and you're gonna do this whole thing and you were crucified. And they're trying to wrap their minds around what just happened because it didn't go the way they thought it would go, okay? So here they are trying to figure this out. They were in, so follow me, follow me. They were in a situation that they thought they knew the outcome. They didn't understand what was going on. They're grappling with it. They're wrestling with it. What do we do? And as they're doing that, in their questioning, in their grappling, in their trying to figure out what had just happened, Jesus shows up, right? Jesus just inserts himself into the conversation. It's like, hey guys, what are you doing? What's happening? Let's talk about it. And I happen to know that this is uh, Pastor, one of Pastor Kerry's favorite passages of just, I wish I could have been there to hear Jesus explain everything. I want to be in on that conversation. Don't you just want to know everything, right? But I told you I'm going somewhere with this, and I want to, I want to bring it into a little bit of reality. He's made it clear to us that he has power over every aspect of this world. And he can make it clearer to us every day. Every day. We just have to invite him in. We just have to let him insert himself into the situation. Look, I'm not gonna go gloom and doom and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but how many of you know, you just look, look, out, the, look out the window, look out the, the door, look in the news. We're just, it's hard. It's tough. I, look, I, I'll line up. I'll be the first one on the first train out of here. Like I, but, but we got a job to do, right? We got a job to do. It's tough. And are you, are, you, are you trying to figure it out? Are you grappling with it? Are things happening? And you're like, what in the world? And I love that, that these guys are just walking away, kind of shaking their heads. It's even possible that they were leaving and walking away from everything. It's possible that they were just getting out of Dodge. This did not turn out the way that I thought it was going to be. And they're wrestling with it. They're grappling with it. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, guys, what are we doing? What are we doing? I want to ask you to invite I want, first of all, when, when it's confusing, when you're grappling with it, when you're questioning, go to God's word first. Can I say that again? When you're wrestling with it, when you have no idea what's going on, go to God's word first. And then guess what happens? He shows up and he says, hey, let's walk through this together. And that is when they recognized that it was him. It was the way that he broke that bread. Now this kind of echoes back to the, the Last Supper and what he did and they see that and, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's him. But even figuratively, the way that he unpacked it and he broke that bread, that word of who he is, you can have access to that every day. 
society, all the things swirling around, everything that's happening, just invite him in. Go to his word and invite him in and he will instruct you how to walk and you'll recognize his power in that. How am I doing? How much time do I have? Oh boy, okay. We're gonna fly. We're gonna talk about Peter. This is becoming one of my favorite stories I am not, uh, I am not a, a person who identifies as much with the energy, is a good way to say it, of our friend Peter, right? Maybe you know someone who does. The measure twice, cut once. I don't know what you're talking about. Just give me the scissors, people. They just, they just, Peter is jumping out of boats multiple times in scripture. I just wanna talk about this for a minute. And then I'm gonna, and then I'll close. I'm, 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 I'm doing my best here. I'm gonna go to John chapter 21. 21 verse four, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, he wrapped his outer garment around him, jumped into the water and swam for like 100, what was 100 yards, I think is what we read a minute ago. I don't think I've ever swam that far. And I don't know that Peter had before that either. I don't think he thought about it. He just jumped out. Last time he just walked across the water. He wasn't, you know... Is going so, going so crazy at it. There's something really beautiful that happens in this, and I wanna bring it out as we continue to think about when we met Jesus face to face. Luke, if you go back to Luke chapter five, you're gonna see a very similar story here, right? It's when Jesus calls his disciples and he says, hey, you guys haven't caught anything? Try the other side. And they do, they haul the fish in, and Jesus says, now come with me, I'll teach you to be fishers of men. And Jesus purposefully almost kind of recreates this situation, and there's something really beautiful that happens here. There's something really beautiful because Jesus takes him all the way back, takes them all the way back to the to beginning of the story, right? And it says they're kept from recognizing them until they did that action of casting the nets on the other side like Jesus asked. And in fact, if you go back in the original one, it says we've tried all night We've been trying, but because you said so, we'll do it. And Jesus is reminding them that, do you remember when I did this before? Hey guys, do you remember what it was like when I said, do this? And then there's this miraculous thing that happens. Do you remember? I wanna ask you this, individually, you in this place. Do you have a catalog of things that God has done in your life? Do you have a list you have it digitally, literally in your brain somewhere, all the things that God has, and, and you can go back to those things and you can say, if he did it once, he can do it again. And there was a familiarity in that call from Jesus who said, hey, and they didn't know it was him. Hey, throw your nets on the other side. Wait a minute. I've heard this somewhere before. Just do it because last time it worked out. Have you ever noticed in your life how often the miracle comes when you start to move and do 
the familiar, do the thing that Jesus called you to do to begin with. A lot of times we recognize his power when we put some, some movement behind it. And that's what happens here. And that's all Peter needed. He just jumped right out of the boat. And that's Jesus. Because you have to remember, one of the last times he saw Jesus, it wasn't so pleasant. One of the last times that he saw him, he denied him, right? And he thought it was over. In fact, when Peter says, I think I'm, I'm gonna go fishing to the guys, that could almost be interpreted as like, maybe that season of life being a disciple was over and I'm gonna go back to the family business. Like, I, I, I didn't make it. It was fun. It didn't work out. Now I gotta go make a living. And I might be talking to somebody today, tonight. It just didn't work out. Like I, I tried it. The thing that God told me, it must not have been real. So I just got to fall back to something else. And Jesus calls out, calls to you and says, now try it this way. And as you move in what he's called you to do, he begins to reveal his power. He begins to reveal who he is to you. Is anybody identifying with that? If you get nothing else, just remember, recognize that time you met Jesus and allow it to cause a reaction. I wanna end with this, the reaction of the resurrection. Did you notice something that's really interesting? There's a pattern. When, when Jesus revealed himself to these people, he would show up, he would reveal themselves, he would, he would reveal who he was, and then what happened? What would they do? They'd turn around and run and tell somebody. It was, it was really interesting how quickly that reaction took place. Jesus is here. He revealed himself to me. Now I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go tell someone. I must go. They were compelled. They were on a mission. I already said this, but in these resurrection appearances, Jesus was busy. He was on mission. And he wants us to continue that mission, that business. He wants us to continue that. He even says it's to our benefit that he go away. He promised to send us a helper, an advocate, who will continue to empower us to live his resurrection life as his disciples. I think it's interesting that he calls us to be his disciples. We've already talked about how flawed we are, how, you know, and this another beautiful thing about the story of Mary uh, she's kind of, she's sometimes referred to as the first evangelist because she sees Jesus and she turns around and tells somebody else. She was one of the first ones to see him and turn around and tell. And I love something, again, Pastor Kerry said last week in the, in the previous message about this idea that there was something really interesting that happened as Jesus was going to be crucified that Simon picked up the cross and carried that cross. And then again, the Roman centurion was the one who said, truly, this was the one. And I think if, I just get a similar thread there with, with Mary as being someone who was so broken and so messed up. And she was the one who Jesus met her, changed her life. She followed him, devoted follower of him, and then he reveals himself to her. And then she's one of the, she's the first one, one of the first ones that goes 
and tells the resurrection story. We are carrying that mission on. The, the reality of the resurrection has to be in place so that we can then recognize who he is and the power that's within us so that we can then be compelled to go and continue to carry the message. Our reaction to the resurrection power should be to take that very same resurrection life to those around us. In his last instance, and this is Acts chapter one, verse four, on one occasion while Jesus was with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, eight, a lot of us know it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Mark says it like this, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he said to them. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. How do we walk in his power? We believe in the reality of his resurrection. We move it from our head to our heart. We recognize his resurrection life through our encounter with him. Become filled with his Holy Spirit and react by going and moving in that Holy Spirit empowerment. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. I love when Jesus heals the blind man in John. He says, one thing I know I couldn't see and now I can. There's power in that. There's power in knowing the one thing that Jesus has done for you. So I wanna conclude with this tonight. I've got two questions and the, the angels in these stories helped me out. I love the, I love the, the angels at the tomb. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead? And that question can be something to wrestle with tonight. Are you living in darkness? Why are you looking for, for life among the dead things? Jesus is alive and he can be alive in you and you will find his resurrection life when you look among him and his life, not among the dead things. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Today, tonight could be your chance to move into the light. And you may have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but today could be a day that you stop looking for him among dead things, but you find him and find life in him. Last one is this. I want you to respond to that during our worship time tonight, but think about this one. At Jesus, as Jesus ascended, and we've got that mission that Jesus was on, and he ascends into the clouds, and the disciples are there, and they're all looking up. He just, he just vanished into the clouds, and they're all looking up, and the, and the angel of the Lord says, why, do you, why are you looking up at the clouds? And the, the insinuation there was, 
Okay, yes, what just happened was amazing. Please don't, don't discount that, that's amazing. But why are, you can't just stand and look up. You've got work to do. He just said, go and wait and then go again in my power. We can't be people who are just looking up. And I already said it, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. But don't get caught looking up. You'll miss all the opportunities you have to bring resurrection life to those around you. We must be people of mission. We must be people empowered by his Holy Spirit to go. So as we worship tonight, our worship team is gonna take us into a time of worship. Our altar ministry team is gonna come. Grapple with those two questions. Am I looking for life among dead things or am I going to the source of life himself, Jesus? And maybe tonight you wanna make a decision for Christ. Maybe you wanna come to him for the first time ever. Come and pray with someone and allow them to lead you into that. And lastly this, am I a person who is on mission? Am I looking at the clouds and waiting or am I out doing what he has called me to do through his Holy Spirit empowerment? As we worship tonight, I want you to evaluate where you land on that scale. And I want you to really, really come face to face with who he is tonight. And may his resurrection power open your heart to new, new ways to live in him.